have been looking at the work of the church to fulfill the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us, to take the gospel into all the world, to preach that gospel to all people. We have watched how the Holy Spirit came and began to lead the apostles. The Holy Spirit planted the first church there in Jerusalem. Then he began to enable them and move them out, and churches were planted. He opened doors. He called them into next areas. And we've been watching this pattern of the gospel being spread, churches being planted, and whole regions being evangelized. This is the last Sunday of the church year calendar. Next Sunday, we begin the season of Advent, and then Christmas, and the church year calendar begins all over again. As you and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are ultimately working for that day when Jesus Christ will return, and he will be revealed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so this last Sunday, before the season of Advent begins, this last Sunday that closes out the church year calendar is known as Christ the King Sunday. And we are going to be looking at words that remind us how we should be living in light of the Lord's return, in light of his coming kingdom. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Our study today is entitled Staying on Course. And it's Paul's final words to Timothy, as well as to us. And Father, we pray that as we open your inspired word, the words that you have intended for your people to live by through every generation with anticipation of the coming of Christ, we pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to each of us in our homes to open our ears, to enlighten our understanding, to give us hearts that are receptive today. Father, may your word change us. May your word shape us. And may your word make us ready to do all that you have called us to do before Jesus returns and to be ready when he comes. We commit this time in ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 28, the final chapter, the final words in Luke's account of the church, its growth, and the ministry of the predominant apostle, Paul. And Luke recorded for us that when we got to Rome, speaking of Paul, Aristarchus, and Luke. They were accompanying Paul as he was being taken for his hearing before Caesar. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke's account ends with those words. He doesn't tell us anything further. 
But we do know from Scripture, and we do know from extra-biblical records of the church fathers, that there is more to the story of what is taking place. While the Apostle Paul was there in Rome, he wrote letters such as the letter to the church at Ephesus, and to Colossians, to Philemon, to Philippi. The Apostle Paul would write more letters after he had his hearing before Caesar and was released. One of the church fathers, Clement of Alexandria, in his Tremata, wrote this. For the teaching of our Lord Jesus at his advent, beginning with Augustus and Tiberius, was completed in the middle of the times of Tiberius, and that of the apostles, embracing the ministry of Paul, ends with Nero. Here before you is a map that shows us what took place after Paul was released from custody and had his hearing with Caesar. And we can trace the ministry of Paul as it continues with a fifth missionary journey and more work that he was carrying out. It was AD 63 when Paul was released from custody. And from Rome, he traveled to Crete. There he met Titus. And Paul and Titus journeyed from town to town where there were churches, studying those churches in order and putting in place overseers and elders who could guide and direct the affairs of each of those churches. The Apostle Paul left Titus to complete that work. And Paul traveled to Nicopolis, which was on the western side of the province of Achaia. Remember, Paul had spent much time in Greece, sharing the gospel, being at Thessalonica, spending a lot of time at Corinth. Well, while he was at Nicopolis, he wrote his letter to Titus and encouraged Titus to complete the work and then to join him for winter in Nicopolis. And he also wrote his first letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. From Nicopolis, the Apostle Paul traveled to Spain. Remember that he wrote to the Roman church and said, I want to come and see you, and I hope to do just that as I am on my way to Spain, because it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where no one else has ever preached it. And there is evidence, though it's not conclusive, that the Apostle Paul then traveled to the Roman province of Britannia, or Britain. One of the Roman generals, I just had a conclusive battle with the Queen of the Iceni, one of the dominant tribes there in Britannia. And so Roman rule and Roman peace had come. And so we believe that the Apostle Paul took advantage of that opportunity and sailed to Britain to share the gospel in AD 67 as a consequence of a new round of persecution that Nero had instituted against Christians. The Apostle Paul was arrested and imprisoned again in Rome. 
this round of persecution was very vicious and very cruel. Nero would send Christians to fight gladiators and then to fight the lions in the Colosseum. He would dip them in tar and then light them as human torches. The Apostle Paul is caught up in all of that. They're in prison, not a rented house this time. He wrote his final letter to Timothy, his protege. And the Apostle Paul said to Timothy as he closed out this letter, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then he concluded his letter with these words, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the third century church fathers, Hippolytus, wrote, And Paul entered into the apostleship a year after the assumption of Christ. And beginning at Jerusalem, he advanced as far as Illyricum and Italy and Spain, preaching the gospel for five and thirty years. In the time of Nero, he was beheaded at Rome and was buried there. And so by order of Roman, the Roman Emperor Nero, the Apostle Paul was beheaded in May of 68. He was 66 years old. Absent from the body, he was now present with the Lord as he had written to the Philippians. Just a few weeks later, in June, on June the 9th, Nero committed suicide. He was 30 years old. So we come to our passage of Scripture today. You will note in your Bibles that there is a heading that goes back into chapter 3 that says a final charge to Timothy. And so in our study today of this passage, we want to pick up with these words that begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's take the next few moments to dig into this passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul is at the end of his life. Remember that he said, I don't count my life dear to me. I have just one goal, and this I will pursue, that I may finish the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. And now at the end of his life, he is able to say to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What does it take for one to stay on course and finish the race? The Apostle Paul is handing off the baton to Timothy. Timothy, the next generation. He has been with Paul in ministry, but now Paul knows that he will be gone. My departure is at hand. Timothy, the work of the gospel is now in your hands. I hand it off to you. Timothy, make sure that you are staying on course so that you as well can finish the race and come to the end knowing that you have done what Jesus Christ called you to do. Again, this question, what does it take to stay on course? We're going to see several things in this passage that begins with this. First of all, keep a resolute focus on Christ's return. Keep a resolute focus on Christ's return. All of us are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. But are we keeping an unbroken, a steadfast, a resolute focus on the return of Jesus Christ? As the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, the return of Jesus means two things. Number one, judgment. And number two, the appearing of his kingdom. 
What is going to happen at judgment? First of all, he will judge, Paul says, the living and the dead. Everyone, no matter when they have lived, will be called to account. There will be two resurrections, the resurrection of the righteous, the resurrection of the unrighteous. The books will be examined. Every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged for whether or not they belong in heaven, that has been accomplished by the work of Jesus Christ, but to be judged for what they have done while they were in the body. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul that we considered at the Lord's table. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ will stand before the Lord on the basis of their own works. The books will be opened to see what they have done. And then the book of life will be opened to see if their name is there. It will be shown that their works were insufficient for them to be justified before Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The book of life will be opened and it will be shown that they did not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they will go into everlasting punishment because they rejected Jesus and his sacrifice of atonement for them. He will judge the living and the dead. He is the righteous judge, Paul says. As the righteous judge, he will examine every word. Remember, he told his disciples that we will give an account for every word that we have spoken. He will examine our every deed. But not only that, he will examine the motive out of which we did and said those things. He will go deep in his examination. It will be according to his standard, who he is and how he lived. I've often heard people excuse what they say or what they do by saying, well, I'm not Jesus. He was perfect. I'm not. But we have been given the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, we have the power to live as Jesus lived. Does it mean that we will not say things or do things that are wrong? Of course not. But it does mean that you and I should be striving every day that we live. Not to live according to what I feel, think, or how I react. But to submit my life to Christ. To live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And to be like Jesus. There will be a performance review for those who have served him. And a destiny determination for all others. As I said earlier, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he will review our lives as believers. How do we live for Jesus? What do we do? How do we serve the body of Christ? How do we use our spiritual gifts? Did we build others up? Did we work together to evangelize? Did we faithfully serve one another to help one another become complete and mature in Jesus Christ? There will be an ultimate performance review. 
For all others, there will be a destiny determination. As I described earlier, it will be found that their name is not written in the book of life. And they will be banished to the second death. A spiritual death, which means separation from the presence of God, the blessing of God, the light and the love of God forever and ever. They made a choice not to identify with Jesus Christ. And thus they sealed their destiny. Those who have longed for his appearing will be awarded a crown of righteousness. Everyone will know for all of eternity who loved, who longed for, and who lived for the return of Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us? It means that there will be some people in heaven who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they did not live with a longing and a love for the return of Jesus Christ. They were caught up too much in the things of this life. And their hearts did not keep that resolute focus on the return of Jesus Christ. So let's take a moment and ask ourselves this question. What does it mean to long for his appearing? The King James uses the word love. Agapeo is the word that Paul used. It means to esteem, have generous concern for, be faithful toward, delight in. This is what it means to love or long for the return of Jesus Christ. Let's think it out for just a moment. To love his return means to live as a bride who is in love with her fiancé and living for her wedding day. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7 records, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. We are the bride of Christ. The church is his bride. Everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and trusted in the grace and the merit that has come through Christ to make us right in the sight of God. As the bride of Christ, are you in love with Jesus? Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he rebuked them because they had forsaken their first love, him. They were living in every outward way for him but their hearts were no longer living as a bride in love with her fiancé and longing for her wedding day. To long for his appearing means that I keep myself set apart from sin and I pursue Christ's likeness. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope, this expectation of his appearing, purify themselves just as he is pure. You would not want to marry someone who is running around with other people before the wedding, who really doesn't care about living toward the wedding day. 
If you and I are longing for the return of Jesus Christ, it will be evident. We are endeavoring to live for Jesus. We are disassociating from this world. Everything that might contaminate us. We are careful where we go, what we do, what we listen to, what we watch. Because we want our hearts to be set apart for him. And then thirdly, living for his appearing. That means that I am faithfully working to fulfill his mission and complete my task. Remember again the Apostle Paul, as he said, My life does not matter to me. All that matters to me is that I fulfill the task that he has given me. And even when those closest to him tried to dissuade him from going up to Jerusalem, because they cared about him. They didn't want to see him fall into trouble. They didn't want to see his life threatened. Yet the Apostle Paul told them, don't try to hold me back. I must finish the task that he has given me. Once again, in our best intentions at times, in our concern for people, we may hold them back. We need to release one another to Jesus. And we need to encourage one another to faithfully work to fulfill his mission and complete the task that he has given to every single person. Jesus talked much about this in the final days before his death. He talked about being wise and faithful servants. He defined a wise and faithful servant as the one who his master finds him being faithful in his work when he returns. Will Jesus find you being faithful in the work that he has assigned to you? That is much more than just the job that gives you a paycheck. That means how you live for Jesus, how you use your spiritual gifts, how you work together with the body of Christ to build others up in Christ, to see that the gospel goes into all the world, to pray together for the purposes of God and for spiritual breakthroughs. May he find you faithful when he returns. The second aspect that the Apostle Paul mentioned here to Timothy is the appearing of his kingdom. Well, what does that mean and what was he emphasizing? Jesus will be revealed as King of Kings. There's a coming day when Jesus will visibly appear on the earth. And the Word of God tells us that he will come as King of Kings, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. At that time, Jesus is going to judge every nation in several ways. He will judge them according to their acknowledgement of God as ruler and lawgiver. Remember that the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans and said, every authority is derived from God, who is the supreme authority. Well, every nation, every ruler, will have to account for their history. And whether they truly governed as those who were submitted to God as ruler and lawgiver. A second way in which he will judge every nation is in their relationship to his chosen nation, Israel. And every nation will experience 
his verdict on how they have lived under the authority of God and in relationship to Israel. He will determine the role and responsibility of each one in his kingdom, including you and I. What we will be doing, whether we have heard, well done, good and faithful servant, you were faithful in this amount that I gave you in your human life, now I will make you in charge of this. And you and I will enter into the roles and the responsibilities that we will have as we serve him for the next 1,000 years. He will establish his kingdom here on earth. Jerusalem will be its capital. Justice and righteousness will characterize his rule. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And his reign will continue for 1,000 years. At the end of that time, the devil will be loosed from imprisonment. A final rebellion will occur. It will be followed by a final judgment. And then God will create a new heavens and a new earth. The Bible says, in which dwells only righteousness. Peter said, since you and I are looking forward to such a future, then let us make sure that we are doing everything that we can to live a holy, a set-apart life and to hasten the coming of the Lord and to be part of it. The second thing that the Apostle Paul emphasized to Timothy for staying on course is keep an unswerving commitment to the Scriptures. Keep a resolute focus on Christ's return and keep an unswerving commitment to the scriptures. He said to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now remember that when we read this passage, we also read that from chapter 3, where Paul was emphasizing the word of God. How the word of God has played such a pivotal role in shaping Timothy's life. How the word of God was used by his mother, his grandmother, from his infancy to shape his faith in Jesus Christ. To bring him to the place that he became a disciple. You've known from infancy the scriptures that make you wise unto salvation. Timothy remained committed to them. You know that they are true, you know from whom you learned them. In other words, he was calling Timothy to be a historic Orthodox believer. Not to reinterpret the scripture in light of cultural changes, but to be faithful to the revelation, as Jude said, that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he exhorted Timothy, Timothy, in your preaching, in your calling to proclaim the gospel, keep an unswerving commitment to the scriptures. The word that the Apostle Paul uses here, Caruso, in preach the word, means to proclaim, to announce openly and publicly. As in standing on the street corner and shouting it out. Many of us have seen those people 
maybe standing with a signboard or using a bullhorn. It literally means to be that obvious, that demonstrative, and that public in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is emphasizing to Timothy that preaching sound doctrine, the teaching of Scripture, is to be the consuming passion of the minister of the gospel. It is to be my consuming passion. I am not to get involved in other things, the affairs of this world, other aspects of living, making money, other engagements. I am called to preach the gospel. Remember that we saw that paradigm of functional membership there in Acts chapter 6. The disciples had a responsibility of waiting on tables and taking care of the widows, the Hebrew widows, the Greek widows. It got to be too much. And they said it's not right for us to neglect the word of God and prayer in order to wait on tables. You choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Our responsibility Jesus has called us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And preaching is to be the consuming passion of the minister of the gospel. It is the primary method God has determined for the presentation of his truth, the evangelization of the world, and the maturing of disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus told his disciples, to every creature. And then he went on to say, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, it's my responsibility to preach the gospel. And I will be held accountable by Jesus Christ for whether I preach the gospel, whether I was unswervingly committed to sound doctrine, it is your responsibility to listen. Every time the word of God is open, to be focused and attentive, to hear the word of God, I must speak sound doctrine. You must listen and take it to heart. And both of us will give an account for how we have responded to the gospel as it's been proclaimed. You know, as we are in this time and all of our services are online and virtual, quite different than when we're together in person. It is easier for you to pay attention when we are together. It is easier for me to command your attention. But when we are in this setting, you are home, perhaps your video is turned off, no one knows what you are doing. I don't know if you're listening or if you're sleeping. Maybe you're cleaning the house. Maybe you're cooking dinner. I have no idea, but Jesus knows. And it's doctrine and teaching and words of life about him. It is my responsibility to proclaim it. It is your responsibility to be attentive to it, 
to receive it, to hide it in your heart, and to make sure that it changes your life. The Apostle Paul said, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And Pastor Don has to say, when I preach the gospel, I'm compelled to preach. I don't have any alternative. I am called to be a servant of the church. I am called to preach the gospel. I can't walk away from it. For I am accountable to the righteous judge. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Make sure that you are being changed, shaped, and equipped by the scriptures. Paul said here to Timothy, Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That is my responsibility, to preach the word in such a way that it corrects you, it rebukes you, and it encourages you. My preaching of the gospel should give evidence of careful instruction, that I have been studying the word of God and praying over it, and that I am presenting not my ideas and not feel-good truths, but words that are spiritually life-giving and that conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said to Timothy back in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed. Every single word in our Bibles Behind it is the inspiration of God. It reveals who he is, and it reveals his will. And Paul goes on to say, it is useful, it is valuable, it is priceless for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instructing in righteousness so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word should be changing you, convicting you of sin, showing where you are wrong, showing where you are like yourself and not like Jesus. It should be shaping you into Christ's likeness. It should be equipping you to evangelize, to build up other believers in the faith, to pray more earnestly and fervently in agreement with others so that the purposes of God are accomplished. Don't neglect the scriptures. Make sure that you are in the word of God every day. Not a day should go by, but what you spend quality time in the word of God. It shouldn't be that you spend more time on social media, playing video games on your phone, or watching TV, more time doing those things than you spend in the Word of God. Don't neglect the Scriptures. Every one of us should study the Word of God. Bible study is not relegated to Sunday school on Sunday morning and Wednesday Bible study. You should be a student of God's Word, searching the Scriptures, understanding more the will of God and the truths of sound doctrine. And don't seek out what you prefer. 
You will be unprepared to stand before Jesus Christ if you are looking for someone to tell you what you want to hear. You need to hear the word of God in its pure and unadulterated form. I will never tell you that God wants you to be a better you. I will never labor to build up your self-esteem and make you feel like a more wonderful person. That's not my role. My role is to represent Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and do everything I can to spur you on so that when Jesus returns, you are like him. You have done his will and you are ready to stand before him. Don't neglect the scriptures and don't seek out what you prefer. The third thing that the Apostle Paul said to Timothy is keep your head no matter what is happening. Interesting statement, isn't it? Keep your head no matter what is happening. You know what it's like perhaps to have been in a crisis moment. Everyone is panicking. Where is the person who is level-headed, who knows what to do? You know, one thing that we as fathers should teach our children is that when it's a moment of panic, don't lose your head. You're not going to be able to respond appropriately if you panic like everyone else. Stop, think about what is happening, observe everything around you, and determine a course of action. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy. You know, you and I are living in a time when time has speeded up. Things are happening faster and faster. Psychologists and social scientists have terms for it. And they're able to quantify how fast time has moved through centuries and eras and generations. You and I are living in a very fast-moving time. Events are overtaking us. Do we understand what is going on? Do we have clarity about the time in which we are living? Are we able to keep our head no matter what is happening? Many Christians are being overtaken by the spirit of the world. It has become stronger and stronger, and they are caught up in its pleasures. They are caught up in its perspectives. They are compromising what they have believed through the years and adapting to a changing culture. They don't want to be caught, as we are told, on the wrong side of history. Well, let me tell you, dear friends, it is God's side of history that you and I need to know and make sure that we are on. Therefore, we need to keep our heads no matter what is happening. Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. What does that mean for you and me? Be aware, be sure, be strong, be faithful. I think we could sum it up in applying it to our lives with those four things. Peter wrote in his letter, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply 
because love covers over a multitude of sins. You should memorize those verses of Scripture. You should write them on your hearts. Make them indelible. The end of all things is near. Be clear-minded. Be self-controlled so that you can pray. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Keep your head. What does it mean? Keep a clear focus. Be aware of what is happening according to God's purposes. Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, lift up your eyes. Your redemption is near. The Bible is full of signs that predate God's actions at certain times. The Bible is filled with signs for our time to give us an understanding of how close we are to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The rise of the spirit of Antichrist. The groundwork being laid for the coming of the man of lawlessness. For a one world economy. For a submission to that spirit and its rule. Don't get distracted. Don't get caught up in the affairs of life. Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. He said, be careful. Or your life will be weighed down, weighed down with the anxieties of life. You will be caught up in the pleasures. You will be deceived by the material wealth of this world. And my return will come upon you unexpectedly like a trap. You see, you and I need to keep our heads. We can't be distracted by what's going on around us. Can't be distracted by the politics of right now. Can't be distracted by a lot of other things that are available to us to be engaged in. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Paul told Timothy to endure hardship. You and I are going to see greater and greater opposition to the truth of Jesus Christ, to sound doctrine, to what the Bible teaches as the days go on. But don't worry about it. You and I should not be worrying about what's to come. We should rather be building ourselves up. Jude said, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. In other words, spend time in the Word of God. Hide it in your heart. Live by it. Enrich yourself with it. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit and keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for Jesus to come back. So you and I should equip ourselves to be strong in the faith. Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the strength of your faith is in direct proportion to the time that you spend in the word of God, learning the word of God, allowing it to speak to your heart, hiding it within you, praying over it. Equip yourself to be strong in faith, to stand against temptation, 
and to persevere. Parents, that is a discipleship model that you and I should be engaged in with our children. Daniel and his friends, far from home in a godless culture, their parents had put so much of the word of God in them that they determined not to be defiled by the culture that they were in, but to stay faithful and to stand strong. And as they stood for the Lord, despite the threat of the loss of their lives, God showed himself mighty on their behalf. May you and I strengthen ourselves so that we can stand firm. And then finally, guard your relationship with Christ and keep your heart free from offense. What does Peter say here? Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. John Brevere, Christian author, it speaks about resentment and bitterness, a grudge against someone else as being the bait of Satan. And he and numerous others that I've talked to believe that one of the great tools of Satan in the last days will be this issue of taking offense. Just listen and watch, whether it's TV, social media, people are taking offense like never before, condemning and shaming other people, free to curse one another out and denounce one another publicly. They don't hold back, no reluctance, no restraint, no protocol. Offense against others, taking offense against believers, well, we're going to see that more and more as time goes on. But our own hearts, if we're not careful, will come under that spirit of offense. You and I need to make sure that we are guarding our relationship with Christ and we are keeping our hearts free from offense. That we are not taking our relationship with Christ for granted, but we are building it, strengthening it, investing in it, growing in it. Be with other believers for times of prayer. Make sure that you are studying the word of God with others as well as on your own. Guard your relationship. Keep your heart free from offense. As I was studying this passage, I was thinking of how Satan works, how he gets into churches, how he causes people to take offense. I have seen people take offense and it calls churches just to dissolve and become nothing. One of the pastors who led me into a deep life of prayer for Baltimore City had two intercessors who accompanied him. They were tremendous women of prayer. But they let some pride get into their own spirits. And as a result of what they allowed into their spirits, it so corrupted that church. And it brought to an end a church that had been instrumental in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it brought that pastor's ministry to a crashing halt. Not because of any fault of his. He was faithful to the end. But they allowed offense to get into their spirits. And it destroyed that work of Jesus Christ.
Friends, guard your relationship with Christ. Keep your heart free from offense. May you and I be able to say when we get to the end of our lives, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It was AD 67. Timothy was in, was in Ephesus. He was 80 years old. He went out into public to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as he had been called to do. There was a procession going through the streets of Ephesus to honor the goddess Artemis. And Timothy was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to turn away from idols and serve the living God. The crowd seized Timothy. They beat him. They drug him off. And they stoned him to death. I believe that Timothy would have been able to say, and I believe he said the words as his breath was expiring, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Listen, don't fear what may happen to you in the future. Just be faithful. You know, the moment that Paul's head was cut off, and Timothy was stoned to death. One moment they had no memory as they stepped into eternity of what had happened. It was gone. That was part of the life that was past. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No matter what you and I go through as we live for Jesus Christ, the moment that we draw our last breath and our heart stops, we step into the presence of Jesus and we'll be able to sing that song, it will be worth it all. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your wonderful word today. For me, it is so encouraging and for me, I'm so honored to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, represent your heart, your purposes. And Father, I pray that your word would dwell richly in each of us. And it will not, as has already been prayed, be stolen from our hearts. Our hearts will not be as hard ground. But we pray that your word will be life-giving to encourage, to fill with hope, and to motivate us to live for Jesus Christ and to run the race and run it well, for it will be worth it all when we see you. I bless your people and I pray that your word would strengthen them for your purposes and for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray, amen. Amen.